It's Monday, June 18th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the gospel according to Luke, and we are joined by Dr. Rick, our VP of Engagement. Engagement. And today, Dr. Rick will walk us through Luke chapter 22, all the way through the end of Luke chapter 23, verse 56. Hi, welcome again to our study of the book of Luke here on the Defender Podcast. I'm Rick Morton. Um, we're going to be looking today in the book of Luke at chapters 22 and 23. So in the last um, days and, and last hours of Jesus' life, uh, moving to the cross and, and just going to be pulling a few things out. We've, there's, a, there's a lot in um, these two passages of Scripture, and so we can't possibly really cover them all in the time that we have here. But just want to want to point out a few things to you that I, that I think are of, of, of great significance. Um, and so beginning in, in chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. And so the backdrop of, of what's about to happen in, in the, the trial and the betrayal, the trial and the ultimately the crucifixion of Jesus, this is all happening around um, the commemoration of the Passover, which is, is Israel's remembrance of how God delivered them, how God freed them, how God saved them from bondage in Egypt. And, it, and it's a picture of, of the way that God intends to deliver his people um, fully, completely through the Messiah. And so very much this is a this is a time that is that's centered around messianic prophecy and centered around an anticipation for the coming of the Messiah. And so here Jesus is, the Messiah, in the midst of, of, of all of this. If if we look back at Exodus chapter 12 and 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 look at the you know a, a sense of what was commanded of Israel during this time. Exodus chapter 12 um, gives us a, a great insight into how the, the, the Passover was to be um, celebrated. And, and it says, for seven days, in verse 19, for seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. In other words, the thing that leavened bread, which is also, also symbolic of sin in the Bible, is to be cleaned out of the house. Um, this was also symbolic of the Israelites being ready to run. They couldn't wait for their bread to rise. They had to be ready to leave when, when the opportunity for salvation came. And, and what we know is that, that the opportunity for salvation is, is here because Jesus is in their midst. And so it says, For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. In other words, God is providing provision and salvation. And, it, and if you don't take this provision, if you don't do it God's way, if you don't accept what God has given, then you're not going to have any, any salvation. You're not going to have any part in, in the inheritance that God's provided. And, and I think for us as Christians, we need to realize that we can extend that to say that while the world wants a lot of ways to, to get to being reconciled with God and the world wants to reconcile itself to God in a lot of ways through a lot of different avenues, God has provided one way and that's Jesus. And, and so God has literally given us the bread of life. Jesus has come as the bread of life. To, to provide himself as a sacrifice. And, and we see this picture of the exclusivity of Jesus. It, it says, 
Also, it goes on and it says, if anyone eats what is, I'm sorry, if anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. And so what we see is that the feast of the Passover was also established not just to be for the people of Israel within the borders of Israel, but if anyone who was, anyone was in Israel, whether they were a Gentile or a Jew, they had a part in the, the feast of, of the Passover and they were commanded to eat the Passover and to remember what God had done. And and I think it just reminds us that salvation is for all. Salvation isn't a Jewish thing. It's not an American thing. It, it's not a Western thing. It's it, it's a it's a people thing. God created people in His image, and He set about a plan to redeem us all um, through the blood of Jesus. And so, so as we as we move through, um, w- what we understand is, is there's this this profound like backdrop and illustration of what Jesus is about to do on the cross that's held in the in the ceremony and in the um, in the meal, even the seder meal of um, the Passover. Now, what we also see in in verses one and two is that that the, the the Pharisees and the scribes it says the chief priests and the scribes were seeking to put him to death. Why? Because they feared Jesus. No, it's because they feared the people. And 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 I think we we can't miss the fact here that one of the great problems that's going on is you have you have spiritual leaders who are who are leading the people and have the responsibility for leading the people toward God, but they don't even recognize God in their midst. And, and they're so about protecting their way of life. They're so about protecting their power. They're, they're so about protecting what, the, what they know. And, and ultimately, their fear is that they will lose their place and that they will lose their influence. So they didn't even really fear Jesus. What they feared was how the people were going to react to Jesus and what the people were going to do as a result of, of knowing Jesus. And so at, at a time when God wanted people focused on his deliverance of them from sin, the leaders were focused on protecting themselves and and protecting their own power. It says then, if we if we continue on in verse three, it says then Satan entered Judas Iscariot, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers about how he might betray them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him in the absence of a crowd. And so so understand that this guy who was right up in the middle of the disciples was being used of the enemy in order to to work out a plan, and and the, and the chief priest and 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 the um, and, and Judas all believed that they were working out a plan and that they were they were smarter than God and that they had more on the ball than God. But what we see here is that even in the midst of their incredible confidence of what they were doing, they were nothing more than pawns in the hand of a holy God. Um, I think it, it calls upon us to remember that God will prevail. The question is whether how will we participate in that? God's always going to win. God's purposes are always going to be accomplished. But are we going to get the blessing of participating in what it is that God has laid out for us to do? The the chief priests they were a part of the plan, and they ultimately led to um, the, the what their killing of Jesus led to the redemption of the world. But they missed out on the blessing of being of, of being with God and being part of God's blessing and being part of God's plan. Jesus, on the other hand, here we see, is incredibly strategic in the way that um, th- th- that things progress. Um, th- they knew that they had to kill him out of sight, right? And so, and so Jesus, it says then in verse 7, they came to the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb is to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. 
Now, what Jesus didn't do here is he didn't say to all of the 12, okay, all of you guys go together and go find the upper room. And, and, and Jesus tells Peter and John and gives them very specific instructions to go seek out a man and tells them how to find him and, and, that, and that there's going to be a, a place prepared. Why? Because, because Jesus had this very important thing to do to institute the Lord's Supper, to give us a picture that we can, can over and over and over partake in in order to remember the sacrifice and the work of Jesus and to focus ourselves on what has got what God has done for us as we anticipate what God will do for us in the fullness of the kingdom that's to come in Jesus. And and so 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 that the Lord's Supper wouldn't be thwarted, he didn't send Judas along with the gang to um, to go find the upper room. He was strategic and surgical in the way that that he set it out. And I think that teaches us something in the church that that we still need to be wise. We need to be wise as serpents and gentle as lambs. And we need to to work through and very carefully. Uh, plan for the ministry that we're about to do because because that's a reflection of the way even that Jesus went about his his ministry on on this earth um, and, and and so then we we jump into this um, scene of the Lord's Supper and, and and in the institution of the Lord's Supper beginning in verse 14 it says um, and when the hour came he reclined at the table and the apostles with him and he said to them I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I will tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying... This cup poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on this table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to the man that, that by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, um, which of them um, could be who was going to do this. And, and, and so what we see in the Lord's Supper here is, is that Jesus kind of pulls back the veil of this ceremony, the Passover, that Jews have been celebrating for year in and year out for, for literally thousands of years to show them a deeper meaning. And, and that right there before them had been a meal that was that that that, that they had done probably many hundreds of times um, or, or many dozens of times in their own lives and many hundreds of times across the generations in their families that that, that over and over and over was showing them that Jesus was going to to break his body he was going to allow his body to be broken he was going to allow his blood to be spilled and he's pointing them to the significance of um, of what he's about to do on the cross. Now, I think another thing that I, I want you to see here is, is, is that, that in the midst of this incredible moment where Jesus is laying down these tracks that we continue to follow in the New Testament church, where we continue to celebrate the Lord's Supper and we continue to look back at the work that Jesus has done and, and to remember and to focus and to have a, a time to consider centering our lives on the, on the work of Jesus. But, but, but Jesus is also pointing forward for, for the, the kingdom of God and the fullness of the kingdom of God and, and what his sacrifice provides. Now, in the middle of all this, Jesus drops his nugget and says, and oh, by the way, there's one that's sitting here at the table who's, who's eating this bread and who's drinking this cup who's going to betray me. And the immediate reaction of all the disciples is, is, is it I? Is it I? 
Is it, is it me, Lord? They begin to talk among each other. Is Am I the one that's going to betray you, Jesus? The only one that had, had confidence at this point that, that, that knew the answer to that, the only two people were Jesus and Judas because Judas knew he was going to betray Jesus, and, and Jesus knew that Judas was going to do it. Everybody else, all, although, realized that they had the capacity to betray Jesus, and they needed to be on guard. And I think that's an incredible warning for us as we look at this passage that you and I, as followers of Jesus, that continually we need to be asking the question and continually need to be on guard. Are we being people that are, that are, that are being deluded by the message of the culture? Are we being swept up by temptation that comes? Are, are, we, are we giving in to the schemes of the devil? Are, are we the people who run the risk of betraying Jesus because of our because of our action or because of our inaction or because of our indifference. And and so I think we need to mirror the 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 concern of of the disciples. Now, now Jesus on the other hand takes this opportunity when they're when they're asking this question and they're trying to sort out about the uh, about where they fit in the kingdom of God. It says a, a dispute rose also rose among them as to which was to be regarded as the greatest. And and so there's this then it gives way to this controversy of like who's going to be who's going to be the big guy in the kingdom Jesus and 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 Jesus uses this example and says that that the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, the kings of the Gentiles ex- exercise lord, lordship over them and and those in authority over them are called benefactors but not so with you and, and Jesus basically points back to his own example here and says and institutionalizes something that, that's to be true among us as Christians, which is we're to lead by, by being a servant. We're to, we're to lead by humbling ourselves. We're to lead by, by placing ourselves into a, into a place where, where, where we give and where we serve for the benefit of others and, and that our leadership can be found most fully in, in our humility. And, and so don't forget here that one of the one of the great things that Jesus institutes coming out of the the Lord's Supper is this idea that we in the church are supposed to be qualitatively different in the way that we relate to each other and in, even in the way that, w- that we're led to do ministry. And, and so then we, we see um, through the remainder of chapter 22 that that Jesus really speaks a word of words of prophecy over Peter and says, Peter, there's there's going to come a point and you can you can talk big now, but there's going to come a point where you're going to deny me three times before before tomorrow morning when the when the rooster crows and the alarm goes off. And, and then Jesus reminds his followers, and he says in, in verse 35, he says to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? He's reminding them and saying, remember over in the story that we saw in, in, in Luke chapter 10, there was a time when I sent 72 of you out and I told you to take nothing and I provided for you. Do you remember that? And, and, and the disciples obviously say, yes. And then he says to them, they, but, but now let one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for what is about what, what is written about me has its fulfillment. In other words, Jesus says that there was a time when, when you learned to depend on me with nothing. Now you're going to learn to depend on me with everything. And, and, and so be ready to take your, your coat and, and be ready to pick up a sword. Be ready to do whatever it is that you have to do. Be ready to take your whole life with you because I'm getting ready to die on the cross and, and, the, and, and the age of the church is about to begin. And so, and so you're going to have to take your whole life and put it on the line.
then if we move through, and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to spend a terrible amount of time here on, um, on what we see through the, the remainder of chapter 22 and 23, although it is, those are probably the, like the seminal passages in all of the New Testament. But what we see is that, that step by step, moment by moment, Jesus, um, Jesus lived into the fulfillment of prophecy, that, that he was betrayed uh, by Judas, that he was he was brought before Pilate, and he was brought before Herod, and they found no guilt, and they found no sin in him. Yet, um, yet he was taken to a cross, and he was he was killed to provide the sacrifice for our sins. And if you go down to verse twenty six of chapter twenty three, it says, and and they laid him away. They seized, as they led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And, the, and there they followed him, a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. They will they will begin to say to the mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us for they do these things when the wood is green what will happen when it is dry and Jesus is basically saying there's coming a day very quickly when I'm not going to be with you in presence and there's there's coming a day when Roman oppression is going to come and with what you think is bad in Israel today is is nothing compared to to the strife that's going to exist in the world but, but Jesus, in the midst of all that, also utters the, 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 the resounding words out of verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In other words, Jesus is concerned um, not, about, not about retribution. <laughs> Jesus is concerned not about his followers taking up arms and an army and avenging his death, but Jesus is, is ultimately concerned with the repentance or, or with the, 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 the forgiveness of the penalty of sin that comes with his death and, and repentance upon his name. And, and, and so, so what, we, what we see here is, is that Jesus, even on the way, even on the way to the cross, is, is, is reminding people that their hope, their hope is ultimately found in him. And, and so then if we, if we look at the, you know, the final, the, the kind of the final epic here, um, as, as Jesus is, is placed on the cross to die, I want you to look at, at, at a couple of really special things. One of them in chapter 23, beginning in four, verse 44, right here at the death of Jesus. It says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour when the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Folks, we can't miss the significance of what happened at the point that Jesus died. The curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, this place where, where the people of Israel knew that the presence of God dwelled in the, uh, over the Ark of the Covenant, the place that the priest could only go into one time a year under special con con conditions to confess the sins of the people, that, that, the, that, the, that, that, that their very separation from the presence of God, that when Jesus died, that that curtain tore from its top to its bottom, it burst completely wide open, 
And and in and in significance, we're given the understanding now that we are not held away from the presence of God because of our sin. That we have the opportunity to know God, to confess our own sin, to be our own priest, and to live in relationship with God because of the mediating work that Jesus has done for us. And so so praise God today. We we are we are men and women who have an opportunity to be free because of what Jesus has done and because of what he has bought for us on the cross. Now, verse beginning in verse 50, the last, last paragraph here of chapter 23, it says, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where, there, where no one had ever yet been laid. It, it was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They returned and pl- prepared spices and ointments on the Sabbath. They rested according to the commandment. And so as we close out chapter 23, we see this, this, this picture of, of what seemed to be hopeless in the life of, of those people who had followed Jesus as, as they looked at the tomb and they saw him dead and, and they probably believed at that moment that everything that they had given their life for was, was ended. But what we know is Sunday's coming. That Friday isn't the end of the story, that Sunday's coming and that Jesus is going to rise from the dead and Jesus is going to, to prove his dominion over everything, including sin. That's your sin, my sin, every one of our sins. And, and so today, let's take great heart in the fact that we, we serve a God who orchestrated the circumstances of history in order to, to bring about the redemption of His creation. And what that means for you and me is the forgiveness of every sin that, that we have ever committed and the penalty of that sin that separates us from God. And so today we get to live in an unfettered, loving relationship with God, and we get to be a part of the kingdom work of God because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so today I hope you'll take great encouragement from the fact that we are not those who live without hope, but we are those who have incredible hope because of what Jesus has done for us. Hope you have a great day today, and, uh, and, and next week we're going to spend time talking about the resurrection and its implication for us. This is Rick Morton uh, for the Defender Podcast, a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services. We're thankful that you've joined us for our study of the book of Luke today, and we look forward um, to meeting with you again here next week. Well, thanks, Dr. Rick. And this week, we are praying for Lifeline's counseling ministry. We are praying that God would draw each of the families currently served in counseling closer to him. And we are praying for our current therapist as Lifeline as they work with families, Angela, Ashley, Whitney, and Kim. Pray for our therapists to have clarity in how they approach the best way to help each family. Pray that parents in counseling will be willing and able to understand the aspects of their own histories that impact their interactions and their 
present interactions with their children. Pray for a particularly nine-year-old adopted uh, child who's still struggling with violent outbursts even years later, that, that God will provide rest and confidence to parents and siblings, and that hearts will be softened and that love can be received. Pray that families can see the eternal significance of what they are doing in parenting. Pray that moms who, who bear the brunt of their children's anger will know how to love and parent in confidence from the Lord. And we're praying for clarity and discernment as we continue to look at billing insurance and, and new software programs that will go to not only assist our counseling families, but will help us to grow our counseling ministry. We're, we pray for shame that's often pervasive in parents and children and, and just ask that God will speak truth that will revolutionize their view of themselves, their children, and their parents. Pray for the strengthening of marriages for couples who are currently in therapy and pray for the intensive therapy program that will become known and helpful to families who need it and that families will be able to to fund this type of therapy. Pray for families who need help that they will reach out and find Lifelines Counseling Services. Pray for the teen groups taking place this summer, for the teens attending to be strengthened and encouraged. Praise God for the families he has brought to the counseling department and the work that he has accomplished in each of their lives thus far. Praise God for the hope he provides to our staff and to our families. And praise the Lord for the interns that we have this summer, that the Lord has expanded our reach and our territory and what we were able to accomplish through these precious interns. And, and praise the Lord for providing a job to a dad of seven, four of which were adopted internationally recently, who's going through our counseling program. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would undergird our counseling ministry, that everything that we do, while it may be uh, psychologically approved, that it would ultimately be approved by the Word of God, and that the Word of God would saturate everything that we do in the counseling room. Lord, we pray that you would draw these families to yourself, that you would draw these children to yourself, and Lord, that you would speak over them, that you would soothe them with your wisdom. Zephaniah 3.17 says that you will extol them with singing. Lord, that they would have hope. Lord, your word promises not that you won't give us more than we can handle, but that you will be, that you will always give us more than we can handle, but that you will always be present with us, that you are an ever-present help in times of trouble. And so, Lord, I pray that these families would work through these counseling and work through these therapy, but ultimately that they would see the face of God. We ask for these families and for these children, that you would bring them together and help these families be able to disciple these children in their homes to the glory of God and to the praise of your name. And in your name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.